this podcast is not intended for the purpose of diagnosing or providing mental health advice. Although we may have a lot of life experience on these topics, we are not professionals or experts. If you are struggling or need help, please contact your healthcare provider or a registered mental health clinician for your own unique circumstances. Thank you. Welcome to your uncomfort zone, where we discuss and explore creativity, healing, and culture through lifestyle. I hope you've all been doing well this week. Um, I don't know about you guys, but these last few weeks have definitely been a time of change and excitement and anxiety for me, but also a lot of learning and acceptance and self-compassion as well. I think the biggest change for me was actually finding a job, which... I wasn't actually looking for at all. I just was kind of trying to get my feet wet and getting used to going into interviews again and doing interviews. But I found myself like really excited about this opportunity when it was offered to me. So I went ahead and accepted it. Um, I just kind of realized that this would be a great opportunity to learn some new skills, maybe a chance to become more confident in this new role and that said there might be some changes in scheduling and the format of this podcast going forward but I just want to assure you that I do intend on continuing to create content here on your uncomfort zone because I truly do love doing this and it's been a lot of fun for me and I think I'm kind of slowly carving out my own place in this kind of world of podcasting kind of finding my niche I guess And as we know, it's kind of all about that growth and self-discovery here. So I'm sure that there will be a lot more of that in the very near future for me. So I just got to figure out my new routine and yeah, I'm sure it'll all work out and be okay. So all that aside, I'm actually really stoked to be here today because today's topic is something you all know I'm very passionate about and I talk about pretty much on every episode, and that is therapy. So if you haven't already gathered that from the title, that's what we're going to be talking about. We'll be kind of going over the do's and the don'ts of therapy, how to get started in finding a therapist, what to expect in therapy, um, some red flags to watch out for, as well as some of my own experiences in both public and private mental health care settings. And I guess what I've learned in the last 12 years through being in and out of therapy for for that long. So if that's something you're curious about, stay tuned. It's all coming up right after the break. jump into this section I just want to give a big shout out to one of my favorite podcasts it's called the no contact club healing from a narcissistic mother I actually found their podcast during the start of quarantine when a lot of my own childhood trauma was starting to bubble over and I just found their content so validating and it really helped me feel a lot less alone in my experiences I remember listening and being like oh my god there's more people with experiences like mine But then also at the same time, I was like, fucking yikes, I hope you're all okay. So 
Um, hello, Chloe and Portia, if you're listening. Um, they are two sisters, and um, they kind of talk about their experiences growing up with narcissistic uh, parents, or a narcissistic mother in this case. They actually released a great episode on therapy recently, and I just want to recommend to everyone that they go ahead and listen to that episode and give them a follow while you're at it. They have a lot of great insight, especially in the context of being survivors and living with childhood trauma and kind of going through therapy with those experiences. But also they have a lot of other great kind of general tips that I think everyone can use and learn from. So all that said, I know that through talking to some of my listeners and friends that many of you are actually feeling like you would like to talk to a therapist and get some help with some things that you might be struggling with, which is great. So first of all, congratulations. This is actually the first big step, accepting that you need help and actually wanting to change. So after you do that, the next thing is to talk to your doctor and ask what your options are. This is going to really depend on what country you're in. So when I talk about my experiences and some of these tips, that will be within the context of living in Canada because that is where I'm from and that is where I currently live. Our healthcare system will probably look different than other places, so that's why it's important that we ask questions and figure out what route might be best for us. So, here in Canada, there are two kind of main routes you can take. So those are the public route and the private route. When I say public route, this is kind of government programs and services which are free with a municipal health card. Um, or provincial health card, I should say. Here in Newfoundland, we have something called an MCP card. And every province in Canada, to my knowledge, has an equivalent. So basically, if you're a resident of the province or of any province in Canada, you can go to the hospital or the emergency room for free, see a family doctor for free, and it kind of covers most general medical care. Um, But for some reason, it doesn't cover dentistry, um, even though that is very much a medical thing, but that's a whole other conversation to be had um, that won't be happening today. Um, So basically any medical doctor you can see for free in Canada. Um, The catch is though that there are a lot of long wait lists depending on where you live and that sort of thing and kind of what specialists or what medical doctors you are looking to see. So when going the public route, you will need a referral from a medical doctor. Your doctor will send that referral to a psychiatrist or through any bridging programs or whatever health district you're in. I live in Newfoundland, so my doctor actually sent my referral through Eastern Health this time around. When I was in high school, she um, sent my referral through the hospital bridging program that was kind of for children and young adolescents so that was a separate program because I was under 18. From there there may be a phone consultation or maybe several phone consultations and they may put you on wait lists for different programs they feel might help you. Understand that these wait lists may be long but it's better to have your name on them than not on them regardless. If you need care from a psychiatrist, you will need an appointment date and you will get an appointment date after that phone call. You will have to go through a psychiatric assessment, which sounds scary, but I promise it is not. Um, 
So essentially, it's a series of questions that will kind of help your psychiatrist figure out where to start with your treatment plan and what kind of medical and mental health conditions to look at. You may not get a diagnosis right away. Typically you do, but you may not. Your diagnosis may also change through your sessions or things may be added or taken away as they get to know you better and as you go through your treatment. People are complex and there's only so much you can talk about in depth in an hour, so keep that in mind and that's why things may change. In my experience, having seen a few different psychiatrists, usually they will give you the option of signing a release form so that your family doctor can stay in the loop with your treatment and this will be really important if you're given any prescriptions or recommended any medications. They may also ask if they can talk with any other therapists or counselors you work with to monitor your progress. You are kind of assembling a team in a lot of ways, so communication is really essential here. When I was in university, I was seeing the psychiatrist on campus every two weeks, a separate psychologist for more frequent sessions every week or so, and I was also in a few different therapy groups and skill building groups, so it was actually a very structured program, and, um, and generally speaking, if you go the more public route, you will get more structure, which is great. But don't let that keep you from going the private route. I know that I did that for a long time, and before you ask, Yes, it does cost money. Yes, it can be expensive. But if it's accessible to you and you can move some funds around or save up money for it, definitely do it. This can be a really helpful way in kind of getting the ball rolling, especially if you're on any wait lists. This is actually what I did last winter and actually how I found the therapist I'm seeing now, who I'm very, very happy with. Something I really like about going the private route is that it can be a bit more at your own pace. Not that the public programs are too fast paced, I'm not saying that. They're just a little more point A to point B to point C, I guess. There's definitely a place for that amount of structure, but there's also a level of self-exploration that I really enjoy with going with the more private route. The appointments are completely up to you. They're not set ahead of time like some of the public ones are, like for example, every second Wednesday or weekly meetings, that sort of thing. I just kind of go whenever I feel like I need to talk about something or an issue might come up and then I make an appointment based on that. Sometimes that means they're two weeks apart. Sometimes that means three weeks or one week. It really depends on how I'm feeling. Your treatment plan will cover an array of different things if you go to a private practice versus going through a public clinic that might be focused on one specific thing, like for example, a clinic on substance abuse. If you're in one of those types of clinics or one of those types of groups, you might want to see a therapist every month or every few weeks to kind of unravel things in more depth that you may have talked about in that group. Regardless of what route you take, I think it's important that we go in with some goals or with a general idea of what you want to improve. And in saying that, I think it's important to note that you don't have to have any significant trauma like childhood abuse or anything like that to see a therapist. I think we all need to get past this idea that we need to be really sick or ill to start seeing someone. Pain and suffering can be very subjective and everyone struggles with different things and all of those struggles are very valid and very real. Maybe you want to talk about 
conflict resolution with a counselor or anxiety with public speaking or how to take risks with your job or communication issues within your family or relationship. Any of those things are worth seeing someone for and therapy is really just skill building. It's creating an emotional and psychological toolkit that you can use to help you cope healthily with obstacles or issues in your life, whatever that might be for you. Coming up, what is a therapist and what isn't a therapist? And after that, my do's and don'ts of therapy. Stay tuned. So in this next section, I'm going to keep things a little bit more casual, a little bit more open. So there might be a little bit of rambling. Um, We're going to talk about essentially what is a therapist because I think a lot of people go into therapy thinking that they know what a therapist is or what therapy is going to look like and a lot of that is based on misinformation or maybe television shows or movie tropes and that sort of thing and I think a lot of people when they go in there they they're surprised or maybe confused that it's not it doesn't look the way it should or maybe they think it should look. Also, excuse any loud road sounds outside. Uh, I'm recording in my living room and cars just love, people in cars just love flying up my street. So yes. So first and foremost, a therapist is a human being. Yes, they are a human being with feelings and thoughts and that sort of thing. I think a lot of people, um, see movies or television shows and they think that therapists are going to be like very like um unemotional I guess and that's not true now every therapist does have a different approach to therapy so some of them may be very like in like expressive with their feelings and some may not and um that's going to depend on you and what you prefer and also it's also going to depend on what issues you're facing because sometimes that level of emotional distance or a lack of emotional expression, because emotional distance actually is kind of important with therapy, but um, for therapists anyway, but uh, sometimes that lack of emotional, showing emotion is actually important in the way that they conduct themselves. So something to keep in mind. Um, They are a healthcare practitioner, so that's the next thing. Um, And they should be someone who shows an appropriate amount of compassion or compassion when it's appropriate. So you wouldn't want a therapist showing you compassion when you're describing something that you did that was genuinely horrible, you know, um, kind of thing. So if they tell you that it's okay that you did something shitty, um, that's something to kind of look out for. And I will get more into depth with like the red flags of a potentially like a therapist that you might not want to work with. But right now we're just talking about what a therapist is. So Next thing on the list, a therapist is educated on hopefully a wide array of methods. So therapists kind of all approach treatment differently and they will have different skill sets, but usually those, uh, those types of skill sets will include a few different methods, which is great. Um, they tend to be very dynamic in that way. So a therapist is also a person who is supposed to work with you on a mental health recovery plan. 
They should be someone you can trust or build trust in because sometimes that trust doesn't happen right away and that's normal and okay. Um, they should also be someone who can validate your experiences with trauma or abuse. You should also feel like there's someone who works with your strengths and someone who can help you organize and make sense of your thoughts. That's essentially one of the biggest parts of therapy is kind of helping you organize the chaotic kind of bits of yourself. Because sometimes we don't know why we feel a certain way and why we might be behaving a certain way and that sort of thing. Therapists should also be people who you can feel safe around or people that can create a safe space where you don't need to filter yourself as much. And they should also be someone who aims to do no harm and someone who has a good moral compass. So your well-being and the well-being of others should be at the forefront of their mind, right? Because after all, they are a healthcare practitioner. So now we're going to move on to what a therapist is not and what they maybe shouldn't do. And then we'll kind of go into the red flags after that. Um, a therapist is not your friend and a friend is not your therapist. This might be surprising to some people and it might kind of sting a little bit for some people. Um, I'm also going to add that they should not be your romantic partner, a family member or a coworker. And while I believe that a therapist client relationship is an intimate relationship in the way that there needs to be trust, it is still a professional relationship. So that boundary needs to be there at all times. I know that sucks for some of us with attachment issues and it might feel strange, but your therapist is not your friend. You're paying them or the government is paying them to help you, right? And in that same vein, they should not protect your feelings or withhold the truth if it's going to help you. So expect to be called out by them. Um, these moments are moments of growth and learning. So, um, yeah, so that's definitely a really important thing to kind of take note of. A therapist should also not protect or enable symptoms and behaviors that might be harmful to the therapist, you, or other people. Um, and they should also um, not invalidate your experiences with trauma and abuse. So I know I mentioned that before, but um, kind of be aware of like kind of victim blaming sort of um, language and that sort of thing. Um, the next thing is that a therapist should not have any bias against you or hold prejudices because of your race, your ethnicity, sexual orientation, gender identity, psychological or other medical conditions or neurodivergencies, religious background, physical appearance, physical appearance, etc. Um, essentially, your therapist shouldn't be a bigot. And if they are, I don't personally believe that they should practice as a therapist. That's just how I feel. Um, People might not agree with me on that, but um, yeah, that's just that's just how it should be, in my opinion, because I don't think you can give proper care to a patient or to patients if you're not um, an open person. 
The next thing is um, a therapist should not take advantage of you. That's very obvious um, to me anyway. Um, they should also not re-traumatize you, especially if it's intentional. And in saying that, the next point is really important in that kind of note about the fact that they shouldn't re-traumatize you. They should not use methods or forms of therapies that they are not trained in. So that's why I think it's really important that you truly, if you're, especially if you're going the private route, you should go shopping for your therapist and look for specific kinds of therapy or specific types of training in your experiences, right? Like you don't want to go to a therapist who doesn't have training in dealing with significant trauma or like complex trauma if that's an issue that you need to talk about and that you need treatment in, right? Um, because then you do risk re-traumatizing yourself, right? So something to look out for. Um, you should also not feel like your therapist is embarrassing you because of your symptoms or experiences as well. And um, they should not talk over you and they should allow you time to explain and express yourself, right? You both need to kind of give each other the floor and you both need to be willing to listen, right? To each other. Loud car outside, lovely. I love that. Um, the next thing is a therapist should not have poor boundaries with you or with themselves. So like I mentioned at the very beginning, this is a professional relationship and there needs to be that professional boundary there, right? For it to be healthy. All right, moving on to red flags to look for. Some of these things are things that I've experienced, but a lot, most of them are things that I've um, heard other people kind of talk about with their experiences in therapy. So the first thing is narcissistic behavior. Definitely look out for narcissistic behavior. If you are curious about what that might look like. I actually do have um, an episode that talks a little bit about it in my toxic traits series on emotional manipulation. I will probably be doing uh, an episode on narcissism in the future, but like I said, we're kind of stepping away from that right now. But um, yeah, like it is possible to have a narcissistic therapist. I don't know how common it is, but it can happen because, you know, those are, that's just probability, you know? So definitely keep an eye for narcissistic behavior. The next thing is, like I mentioned before, if the person has kind of discriminatory beliefs or uses discriminatory language or they appear to have a bias of some kind, um, that's definitely a red flag to look out for, especially when talking about um, symptoms. Um, there are some psychiatric conditions that tend to be more stigmatized than others and uh, even within the mental health community and I've definitely had some experiences with that in the past and um, I'm very grateful that my therapist is not Does not hold those beliefs now like the therapist I have now, but I have experienced that in the past and It's definitely something to keep an eye out for The next thing is poor boundaries like I mentioned before if they have poor boundaries is probably not someone you want to work with um, and then we have inappropriate conversation so that might look like weird maybe comments about your appearance like maybe they might be kind of making sexual kind of um comments on your appearance that's that would be classified as inappropriate behavior a lot of this is going to be obvious but another thing is um 
if they're kind of talking down to you about another therapist you might be seeing and that sort of thing, like kind of unprofessionalism, that would be considered an inappropriate conversation. And that's something I've actually had experience with in the past um, or I've seen it as well in other, other people and other people's experiences. The next thing is uh, a therapist who invalidates your, your experiences is obviously not a therapist you want to work with. Um, the next thing is more of a broad topic that I will cover in the future, but kind of paternalism in medicine or like patriarchal views, which kind of goes hand in hand with the discriminatory beliefs, but it's definitely its own subject. Um, you know, therapists or psychiatrists who kind of dismiss, uh, your behavior as being like being a woman is something I've seen where it's like they'll dismiss your experiences as oh you're just hormonal or you're just a woman or that's just PMS and it's clearly not like that sort of thing just like very fucked up views and also um when I say paternalism in medicine just like doctors kind of deciding for you that you don't need to explore this thing or this issue or this kind of therapy or this kind of form of treatment um, when it's something you're curious about, right? Or something that you feel like it might help. The idea that that they can choose for you and almost treat you like a child or like that you don't know, that you don't know what's best for you. And a lot of the time is going to be based on uh, your gender. And oftentimes it's the more marginalized genders that experience this. So yes, that's something that you don't want in a therapist. Um, the next thing is um, a therapist or psychiatrist, I guess in this case, who pushes medications and at the same time dismisses your symptoms. I am not anti-medication. I have been on medications and they've been very, very helpful to me. I know lots of people who take medication regularly and it's really, really helpful. Um, and that is going to really depend heavily on your symptoms and your diagnoses. There are certain conditions that absolutely do need to be medicated and people might disagree with me on that but that's just the science that's just what it is um but when i say push meds that also might mean um a therapist who is pushing to increase your dose when maybe you feel like uh you might want to stay at a certain dose for a little bit longer before you increase or maybe um a therapist who pushes meds instead of addressing the actual underlying issues. So this is more of kind of um, a therapist or a psychiatrist who thinks that giving you medication is going to fix your symptoms when in reality your symptoms are actually a, um, a result of trauma which needs to be addressed. Like when you address the trauma, we know that the symptoms generally get better and medication can aid in that, but it's not the cure for a lot of this stuff, especially when we're talking about uh, mood dysregulation, um, conditions like depression and anxiety and that sort of thing. Medications can be helpful. They're not for everyone, but they can be helpful. So be open to medication, but don't let a therapist kind of like keep pushing you through medications if are uh, on, onto a medication that isn't working for you. And, um, yeah, you definitely don't want them dismissing your symptoms or telling you that they aren't real or that sort of thing. They should be mindful and concerned with your symptoms, right? So the next point is another big red flag for me anyway, is toxic positivity. You will see a lot of this in the wellness community. And it's something that I am definitely very passionate about and definitely pisses me off a lot. And I know I've talked about it. I have a whole episode on toxic positivity on the podcast, 
but um, within the space of wellness and mental health advocacy, you will see a lot of this, and it's definitely something you want to avoid, especially in a therapist, because it can be very victim-blaming, and there's a lot of pseudoscience there, which um, at the end of the day, uh, your brain is an organ in your body, and it is a medical issue if you have problems with your brain and your thought processes and that sort of thing. And psychology is a science. Um, it is very much a biological thing. And um, I would be wary of therapists that try to push um, toxic positivity and like pseudoscience based um, approaches on you because in uh, you just basically what I'm saying is you don't want to end up with a quack as your <laughs> as your therapist not that more not that a more holistic approach can't be helpful for some people because it can be but um just do your research do your research look at peer-reviewed studies on certain um approaches and that sort of thing and yeah look at like if you're into science you're going to want to look at like meta-analysis or meta-analyses i guess of um different forms of therapy you're going to want to look at that because looking at an article or like one or two small studies is not a, often a very, usually is not a very good indicator on how effective it is. And you don't want to be playing with that um, too, too much with your mental health because that can be risky depending on your situation. So, um, and that kind of, kind of, that kind of goes into this next point, which is look out for therapists who are practicing clinically unproven or shady forms of therapies or therapies they have no education in or maybe therapies that are harmful. Um, so again, I mentioned this before, when you're looking for a therapist, you look for, definitely look for specific therapies or like um, training in things that you want help in. And then you, if they suggest something to you, you can look it up, ask for resources. And then when you get those resources, still do your own thing and try to try to look at it from a, uh, not a biased perspective, I guess. Like try to be, try to be open, but also at the same time, do your, do your work because therapy does require some work. So definitely, um, definitely do that. Um, and obviously you don't want to be dealing with a therapist who has no education in what they're practicing. Um, that is playing, like I said, you're playing with fire there. So you're going to risk re-traumatizing yourself in that way. The next thing is, um, obviously that's, this is being tied into that last point. If they don't have uh, any educational background in therapy or psychology, um, or neuroscience or something like counseling or anything like that, um, you, you don't want to work with them. Um, and you want a therapist that will refer you to someone who can help you instead of, just sticking with them if they can't help you. So that's pretty obvious. Look out for therapists that show no compassion. I mentioned that with the kind of more narcissistic uh, personality traits. Um, a therapist who stigmatizes or treats you like a lost cause. So if you have some of the more um, difficult to treat psychiatric conditions, like say a personality disorder, for example, um, if your therapist is stigmatizing you based on that, um, you don't want them as your therapist, um, probably. Um, because a, a good therapist who has training in these things will recognize that there's 
you're not beyond help. You just need a different approach and different forms of care, right? The next thing is a therapist with poor temperament. If they're losing their temper and uh, or getting emotional or upset within reason, like uh, I'm sure that there's a, a level of that that is uh, like if they set a boundary with you, like you if you cross a boundary with them and they set it and they seem a little bit angry or annoyed, that's going to be normal. But if they just have a poor temperament overall, you probably don't want to be dealing with them. Also, um, I would say look out for therapists that don't seem to care about your progress. Um, kind of look out if you feel stuck or like you're going nowhere. Um, maybe you feel like you're going in circles. That's definitely a red flag for me. And the last red flag I have listed here is look out for therapists that seem like they're not into helping you find and use the tools you need to get better and to be better. Um, therapists that don't give you homework or advice or guidance or input, like those are all things that are essential in therapy. And if they're not doing that, then they're not doing their job. So that is the last point and, uh, in my little list of red flags. Um, and in the next section, we're going to talk about, I guess, the things to do or not do when you go to a therapist and we're going to talk a little bit about um, expectations and that sort of thing so stay tuned and that'll all be coming up right after the break now that we've gone over the general steps of finding a therapist and what to look for I think it's time we tied everything together with what I like to call my do's and don'ts of therapy when taking charge of your mental health do take the leap and choose healing I know it's scary but I promise you once you connect with a good therapist you will not regret it the next thing is do think about budgeting if you plan on looking into private therapy you can always talk to your therapist about pricing and a schedule that best suits your budget and think about saving up a little extra money if you can maybe do what i do and work therapy into your monthly budget for example maybe you can only afford to go once a month or once every few weeks that's totally okay it's better than not seeing one at all and in my experience therapists are really understanding about these kinds of circumstances it's actually extremely common my third thing is do look at your insurance package if you pay into one with school or at work. You'd be surprised how far even a little bit of coverage can take you with therapy. The next thing is do put your name on wait lists for public mental health care services if they're available in your country or your province. It's better than not having them on there at all. Getting the ball rolling is the most important thing in starting this journey. You'll feel better when you do, I promise. Before you know it, they'll be calling you with an appointment date. It's amazing how quickly time passes. The next thing on the list is do start looking at private practices in the meantime. This is a great way to start addressing things while you wait. It's a good way to get ahead and to get used to talking to someone about your issues, especially if you've never done it before. I know how hard that can be. Do look at accessible therapy options as well. I know that this is a difficult time to be looking at going to appointments and going to clinics, but like I've mentioned before in previous episodes, there are lots of therapists taking clients by distance right now through video platforms and over the phone, as well as phone apps completely dedicated to matching you with a therapist that suits your needs. 
Next up on my list is do use Google. Actually, Chloe and Portia from the No Contact Club mentioned this in their episode on therapy, but I definitely think it's still worth mentioning. I actually found my therapist this way. There are also a lot of websites out there where you can view professional profiles of different counselors and psychologists to kind of pick and choose what you like. Which brings me to my next point. Look for therapists who focus on or specialize in whatever you're struggling with. Make sure you look at the types of training they have. This will be a good way of seeking out someone who can really zone in on those issues. Finally, decide to reach out to some people. Do inquire about free consultations before booking an appointment. And definitely schedule them if they're offered. This is a great way of understanding what kind of an approach they might be taking with you, as well as if the therapist feels your circumstances meshes well with their skill set. The next thing on the list is do try to be mindful of your instincts or how you might be feeling through the experience. These thoughts might tell you a lot about what you might need to work on, what might not be working in therapy, and if a therapist is right for you. Do ask questions about different methods and treatments, and be open to trying new things. Ask for resources if you're unsure, and most therapists honestly are very happy to help you understand why their approach might be really helpful for you. And my last thing on this list is do check in with yourself and check yourself. Before, during, and after your sessions, ask yourself, how am I feeling? Was there anything that got lost in that conversation? Was there anything I could have done differently to make that session more helpful or insightful? Is there anything I should ask of my therapist that might improve these sessions? These types of questions are a great way to learn mindfulness, and it's also a good tool in better understanding our emotions. Now let's move into our don'ts of therapy. When embarking on this journey through healing, don't use friends as therapists. They are not the same thing and they can't provide the same kind of care that a therapist can. Having a support system is important. Having those friends in your life is a very important thing, but keep in mind that your friends have a very different relationship with you than a therapist will have. And a therapist has many years of education in mental health and Your friends typically will not. And even if they are, they can't be unbiased about your situation, which, like I mentioned earlier in the episode, is a really important component in a recovery plan. Don't try to the people around you that you are beyond help or that therapy can't change you. This might be a sign that you aren't ready to let go of some toxic behaviors. The next thing on the list is don't go to therapy without first understanding what therapy actually is. As I mentioned before, therapy is work. Therapy is skill building. Therapy is not crying on a stranger's couch and then somehow you're magically cured. And actually, between all the therapists and psychiatrists I've seen, I have yet to see a Shea lounge in a clinician's office, so let's just let that go right now. The next thing is, don't feel embarrassed about anything you might need to address or talk about in therapy. I promise you, they've heard and seen it all. And don't try to impress your therapist either. This might come up in people with childhood trauma or codependency. 
My next point is don't keep any discomfort to yourself or avoid discomfort completely. Communicating with your therapist will be a very important and essential part of healing and recovery. And you can't heal if you avoid feeling uncomfortable. At the very least, tell them when something makes you feel unpleasant. The next thing is don't try to manipulate your therapist. They will notice. They literally treat these kinds of behaviors in people and you'll probably find that it won't go the way that you intend it to. Which actually brings me to my next point. Don't protect aspects of your trauma or symptoms or mental health issues. You have to heal everything. Learning to let go of the things that feel safe and maybe protected you in the past is a hard thing to do, but in order to heal, we have to accept the fact that those methods are not good for us. You have to heal everything. You can't pick and choose what you want help with. It's all connected. The next thing is, don't feel pressure to talk about everything all at once. It's all about the baby steps here. You can always circle back to certain subjects later if you're not sure if you're ready to dive deep into something traumatic. Exploring traumatic memories requires a lot of trust and a good therapist will make sure that trust is established before doing that. The next thing on this list is don't explain your actions away or your bad behaviors away. We have to hold ourselves accountable. As adults, we are fully responsible for the way that we behave regardless of what our situation might be. Don't tell yourself you are an exception because of something you've been through. Let's just get that out in the open. You are not an exception. You deserve recovery, you deserve healing, and you deserve self-compassion and self-affirmation. Don't confuse validation with something that is morally right. They are not the same thing. Don't idealize your therapist or demonize them either when they disagree with you. There will be disagreements depending on your situation. There may be a lot of them. The traumatized or wounded mind is sometimes not a logical mind. Therapists are there to remind you of what is valid and what might be harmful. Don't feel like you have to go back to a therapist if you've been invalidated by them or feel like their approach isn't right for you. And I think the most important thing out of all of these might be this last point. Do not lie to your therapist. Don't lie about your symptoms, your behaviors, or your experiences, or your actions. It will not help you. Trust me, I know I've done it. You will only walk away feeling frustrated with yourself and your whole experience. A therapist cannot help you if you can't be honest with them. That trust and honesty is the most essential part of our relationship with our therapist. So, now that all of that is out of the way, maybe you're a bit curious about therapy. When this episode is over, I encourage all of you to finally take that leap. Pick up that phone, make that doctor's appointment, get your name on those wait lists, maybe look at some therapists in your area who are taking clients. You've got this. And I promise once you establish that connection with a good therapist, you will not regret it. Healing is absolutely worth all of that work. much for tuning in to your uncomfort zone this week i hope you learned something today and you're feeling well on your way to finding a therapist who can work with you on your journey for self-improvement and healing remember to like rate or give this podcast five stars from whatever platform you're listening from every bit of interaction helps this podcast grow and reach more people 
share it with your friends, your family, your partners, your pets, or anyone else you think might find this kind of content interesting or useful. You can find Your Own Comfort Zone on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, and at our home base, the Anchor app. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions for future podcast ideas, hop on over to Your Own Comfort Zone Pod on Instagram. You can leave me a comment or shoot me a DM. I always look forward to hearing from you and the feedback is so welcome. Don't forget to give me a follow while you're there so you don't miss any future episodes or updates. Tune in to our next episode and have the sweetest day. Bye!